<laughs> Not yet, big man. <laughs> well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. First of all, um, small groups start today. Uh, if you are uh, not in a small group, you need to get yourself into one. Uh, it is awfully difficult to be able to connect in a deep way in relationship with other people in the body of Christ if you are trying to do so you know, in uh, the 15 minutes over coffee out here in this room. Now, I love to drink coffee and, and uh, all that kind of thing with, uh, with everybody on Sunday morning. But if that's the only time that you spend time with one another, it's going to be a lot of years before you develop any uh, deep relationships with anybody uh, and have time to, uh, to really connect. And so we encourage you to get into a small group. Um, mine is full, but there are several others that uh, still have open spots. And uh, you can sign up out there in the foyer uh, on any of those sign-up sheets. Also, if you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, uh, if you have maybe been coming less than a year and you uh, have a lot of questions, a lot of things that you would like to know about the church and about uh, its history and what we believe and how we do things and uh, what it means to be a member and all that kind of stuff. We have a class for you called Explorers. Uh, if you're exploring whether you'd like to be part of this or not. Uh, and it's going to be on September the 30th, the last Saturday of this month. I'll be here at the church. Uh, we'll provide child care for you if you need that. Uh, but we will also feed you and uh, I'll be there and I'll talk to you about the church and answer any questions that you have and really get you connected in. Uh, so we, we have that just for you uh, if you're brand new. I encourage you to sign up for that uh, if you're new to church and you'd like to know more. So uh, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll open His Word together. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that You would clear away all of the distractions. Uh, we come to church sometimes in a hurry and maybe we had a fight on the way here with our spouse or with our kids uh, and we got here and we're stressed out and we're going well I got here I hope that was hope that's a good thing I hope I benefit from what goes on here this morning Father I pray that you would calm our hearts you would help us to listen as you speak to us in your word and as we sing and as we pray. Father, I, I pray that you would open our ears, open our, our hearts and our minds to really hear you speak. Because, Father, we have a cacophony of voices throughout the week. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and 24-hour news and everybody shouting at us. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to that. But Father, one thing is necessary, and that is that we would sit quietly at the feet of Jesus and learn what He has to say and to walk in His ways and to find the life that He offers. 
And so, Father, this morning I pray as we draw near together as a family for worship that you would speak to us and that you would help us to hear from you and to get reoriented for the week ahead. Um, Because, Father, we're going to leave this place here soon and we're going to walk back out into our lives and walk back out into a world with all kinds of messages clamoring to be heard. But, Father, you alone need to be heard above all these. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear and help us to obey and help us to orient our life around you rather than the reverse. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the 1700s, at a meeting of Baptist leaders in England, there was a brand newly ordained preacher who stood up to argue for the value of overseas missions. And as he was dilating on the subject as uh, Baptist ministers are, are commonly doing, an older pastor stood up and he, said, and he interrupted and he said, you young man there, you sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And I'm certain that that old pastor thought he was expressing the godly attitude of a senior saint who is convinced of the sufficiency of God's power in bringing the gospel to the world. But that young man, as young men are wont to do, uh, didn't listen. Instead, what he did was went on to preach to whomever would listen about the importance of overseas missions published a well-known book about it, became a missionary to India, spent 41 years there without a furlough, made 700 Indian converts, made complete translations of the Bible into all six major Indian languages, and with his partners translated portions of the Bible into 209 additional Indian languages, founded an Indian Bible college that still exists and still educates to this day 2,500 students every year, and founded the modern missions movement in the English-speaking world, which for two centuries sent more than 80% of all of the world's missionaries into the world. young man's name was William Carey. The other guy, who knows what his name was. His name has been lost to history. But which person do you think, which pastor do you think came closest to expressing the heart of God and bringing the gospel to those without it? I don't think it's a close contest, do you? This nameless fellow, or William Carey, I happen to think it was William Carey, and I happen to think that the Scripture would commend him and what he did to carry the gospel to those who had never heard it and to put the Bible in their language so they could read God's words and think God's thoughts after him. 
Uh, but it really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God thinks. Amen? And so we want to think some of God's thoughts after Him this morning and open His Word up to Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, and hear what God has to say about taking the gospel to those who do not have it and have never heard the good news. So if you've got your Bible open there, uh, Romans chapter 10, beginning verse 14, this is what the Lord says, verse 14 and 15, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now men and women, uh, you might not know this, but when you signed up for Jesus, when you committed your life to following Christ, uh, you signed up to be a revolutionary in His cause. Did you know that? I hope you know that. That you signed up for a cause, not just for a get-out-of-hell-free card, but for a cause, for a purpose. Uh, you did not sign up, despite what you may have seen from some preacher on TV, for your best life now. You did not sign up for 30 days to a better marriage. You did not sign up for 10 steps to getting God's blessing on your money. I hope that doesn't burst anybody's bubble, but that is not what Jesus is about. He is calling us to a purpose, calling us to follow Him. Uh, you have signed up to see God's will be done in your life and to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen? And you have signed up to join the fight with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ against the great enemy of your souls and to work together to see Jesus' cause triumph in the world. That's what Jesus calls us to. And you signed up also, furthermore, to be a herald of the good news of the coming of King Jesus, both with your life and with your lips and with the sending out of other people with the good news as well. And you are looking forward, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to the ultimate day of Jesus' victory to the ultimate day of your freedom from sin and your entry into Jesus' kingdom. And when we have signed up to become Christians, what we have signed up to do is all of these things. That is Jesus' cause that we have joined. And I sincerely hope that none of this comes as a big shock to anybody. Like, wait a minute, hold on, wait, Pastor, what are you talking about? Because this is what is shot through your New Testament as the reason and the purpose for which God has saved you and has left you. In other words, there is a reason why when we baptize people, we don't just hold them under till they quit bubbling and send them to glory, right? And it's because God has saved you and has left you here for a purpose, 
And the purpose is the advancement of God's kingdom in the world and the expansion of the gospel into places and among people who have never heard it. Amen? And God saved us as trophies of his grace and to do good works, which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Amen? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, if you're looking for a reference. And part of our purpose, part of those good works that we are called to do is making the gospel known in places and among people where Jesus and the gospel are not known. And we sometimes call that missions with an S, but what it really is is the mission that we are on. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, this is it is to make Jesus famous in places where, and among people where He is not known. That is the overarching cause to which all of us are called to, to play a small part. And these two verses, as you look at them, take the form of a series of rhetorical questions, but what they are is a call to action a call to participate in the mission to which God has called us. And I want you to look closely with me here at the text. What's the first question? How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Answer, they won't. Second question, how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Answer, they aren't. In fact, they can't. A man or a woman cannot embrace by faith a Savior of whom he or she knows nothing. If they haven't heard about Jesus, they will not put their faith in Him. It is just that simple. Third question, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, they aren't. No one will hear unless someone announces the message. Sometimes I, I, get, I have kind of pet peeves. One of mine is this, okay? Sometimes I hear people quote Francis of Assisi. Francis did some good things, but he also said some stupid things. And this is one. Okay. He said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And I go, if necessary? What the heck do you mean, if necessary? It is always necessary to use words to proclaim the gospel. Always. Why? Because the gospel is a message fundamentally. It requires verbal communication. To say that, well, I preach the gospel with my life. Well, that's great, but guess who gets the glory in that circumstance? You. Because they look at you and they go, well, gosh, I guess being a Christian is just really about being a nice person. And they're really nice. But guess what? If the gospel never comes out of your mouth, 
They will believe something false about Christianity and they will go, well, I guess I just need to try harder to be a nice person like so-and-so. And guess what? They will die and go to hell believing that. Instead, you have to absolutely have the gospel come out of your mouth so that they can believe in the one of whom they know nothing. Amen? You have to have the gospel come out of your mouth. If you haven't verbally shared the gospel with somebody, then you haven't preached the gospel. Now, should your, should your gospel witness verbally line up with your gospel witness of your life? Absolutely. Right? Heaven forbid we should preach about a Jesus uh, whom we do not follow. And that we live just like the world and at the same time as we proclaim a great Savior who uh, saves from sin and death and hell, right? But we don't live like He saves from sin and death because we're practicing sin right now, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to be inconsistent with our gospel proclamation. But nevertheless, gospel proclamation is a big part of the deal. In fact, it's absolutely essential. Amen? You have to share the gospel because people will not believe in the one of whom they have never heard. Verse 15, last question. How are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, gospel preachers do lost people no good if they are never sent to them. If there are lots of lost people over there and lots of people equipped to share the gospel over here, that's good, but it's only good if those who are equipped to share the gospel eventually get to the people who need to hear it. And doing so requires people who can send them. And to underline the importance of this whole idea again, Paul quotes the Old Testament uh, from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Why do they have beautiful feet? Is it because they just have really pretty toes? You know? That they have really nice nails on them? You know? No, no toe fungus or something like that, Right? No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's because they are using those feet to carry the gospel to people who need to hear it. Your feet are what walks you around to people who need to hear the gospel. What's the point? The point is is that the church has to send out gospel-proclaiming men and women. If we do nothing else as a church, we have to do that. We have to send out gospel-proclaiming men and women. We need to sacrifice money and prayers and partner with missionaries to go where we can't. And we need to sacrifice our own longings for, and comfort for a... You know, we, we all, we all, what we all really want, I think most of us, is just a peaceful life 
that's pretty comfortable and to be left alone and have everybody think well of us and to have everybody think, oh, they're such a great family. Right? But what the gospel call is, is specifically to be uncomfortable. And remember, Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. You've got to be willing to take some risks for the sake of the gospel. To be thought of as quite possibly as a religious fanatic. To have people who want nothing to do with you anymore because you got into Jesus really big and it turned them off. Because though everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, they cannot call on Him of whom they know nothing. And we have a responsibility to make Jesus known in the world. And the time is now to join Jesus in His cause and make the Gospel known throughout the world. And some of us who are sitting here right now ought to be considering whether God is calling us to go and to do missions on a full-time basis. Especially some of you young people who are here. By young people, I mean if you're younger than me. Right? Um, You ought to be thinking about Is God calling me to do missions? Is God calling me to go to the backside of somewhere that isn't the edge of the earth, but it's visible from there, and to make the Gospel known among a group of people who have never even had the Bible in their language? Or to make the Gospel known in a hard place where if I am too successful at it, I will probably go to prison and quite possibly die. Because a lot of the places in the world where Jesus is not known are hard places. And I think what is probably going to what is probably going to require is a group of men and women who are courageous enough and sold out to Jesus enough that they are willing to go to prison and death to see those people come to Christ. We don't want to go to those places. We want to go to easy places. We want to go to some place where there's a beach. We want to go to some place where, you know, the language is not too difficult. And so 99% of our money in missions goes to reached people. It goes to people where there are churches, where there are Bibles in their language, where it's not too uncomfortable to live and water comes out of a pipe instead of a creek. But we're going to have to, if we're going to do what Jesus said to do, go to the world's hard places, and some of us might be called to be among them who go to those places. And all of us, by the way, all of us are called to be on mission right now where we live. Do you know there are approximately 225 
million lost people in the world in the United States of America. 225 lost United States citizens. Our fellow Americans, 225 million of them are dying without Jesus as I stand here. If you were to put all those people in their own country, they would be the fourth largest nation by population in the world. You'd have China, India, Indonesia, and the lost people of the United States of America. We are to be on mission here because people will never believe in the one about whom they know nothing. They will never believe in the one about whom they know nothing. And they will never hear unless someone is bold enough and crazy enough and committed to Jesus enough to actually tell them. What will happen if we do that? Verse 16 and 17 give us the answers. Verse 16 tells us not all will believe. It says this, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, let me ask you, will every person who hears the gospel believe it? No. It's what the text says. Uh, not all obeyed the gospel. Meaning the gospel is a message to which the appropriate response is obvious. Uh, you know, if you live in South Florida this week, you heard a message go out consistently and clearly. And what it said was this, go north, young man. <laughs> right? <laughs> go Go to Georgia, go to Alabama, go to Tennessee. Get your, get your tail end up to Illinois where there is dry ground, right? And it is a message that required an immediate response. Because if you don't, destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Get out of there. And nevertheless, some have not obeyed the message that they heard. Right? Some have decided, oh, oh, we're riding it out. Okay. But destruction is coming. And we do not know what will happen, right? And the gospel carries some of that same kind of message that sinners will be destroyed apart from faith in Christ. Therefore, to reject the gospel is to disobey what God, not the weatherman, not the governor, but what God told you to do. And this is not a new or surprising phenomenon. Again, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah. He loves to quote Isaiah, and he quotes him again here. He quotes him from Isaiah chapter 53. First verse, Isaiah 53. O Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? You know what the rest of Isaiah 53 is about? It's about the suffering servant. It's about Jesus, who is going to suffer and die for the sins of the entire world. 
And so Paul's quoting one of the best messianic passages in the whole Old Testament to tell, to tell them, look, just like Isaiah told them that Jesus was going to suffer and die for their sins and they need to believe in Him, so you're going to tell people that Jesus came, that He suffered and died for your sins. And some of the people who hear it are going to do just like they did in Isaiah's day and go, I, I don't know, I, I can't believe that. Some people are going to disobey the gospel. But the responsibility to proclaim the gospel is not connected to the response that you get. The responsibility to proclaim the gospel is there regardless of the response that we get. It's not eradicated, it's not diminished by the fact that many people will refuse to obey what God said to them. Now look at verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. This is a great summary statement of everything he's been saying in the chapter so far. That people will not believe in what they know nothing about. Faith requires hearing. And it requires hearing specifically the Word of Christ, meaning the Word about Christ. The fact that He is the Son of God who died on the cross for sins and was raised from the dead. That He died a substitutionary death for our sins in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved to satisfy God's wrath against us so that we would not go to hell, but instead be welcomed into His family and made part of the kingdom of God. But no one can believe unless they hear that message. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. No one will become a Christian unless the gospel comes to them. And God has given to us who are already His children the magnificent privilege of joining His cause and making the gospel known making the gospel known now I know most of us here in this room have already joined up we've already signed our enlistment papers as it were and we have joined Jesus cause and we have said yes I will follow Jesus I will come after him I will deny him myself I will take up my cross and follow him all the way but if you haven't I want to invite you and encourage you to do so because though though there are not many benefits in this life to following Jesus, it is still a great life. There's not a lot you can point to and say, you know, everything in my life since I followed Jesus has gone just swimmingly. Right? I mean, I don't get sick anymore, and I always have plenty of money, and my car never breaks down, and it's just awesome, right? If somebody tells you that, by the way, that if you follow Jesus, that everything in your life is just going to be awesome uh, uh, after that, run the other way, as Tony said, right? Preach on, brother. 
um, run the other way because that is the furthest thing from true that I know how to tell you about. That is not what happens. In this life, you will have trouble. Amen? And when Jesus said, come follow me, take up your cross, He's not saying, come follow me and get an easy life. He's saying, come and die in the process of following me. Come and experience great suffering and difficulty, but come and give your life for a cause worth laying your life down for and experience glory on the other side of it that is, in, that is far beyond any suffering that you go through in the here and now. But nevertheless, I invite you and encourage you, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, to lay down your life for Him as He laid down His life for you because it is a great life. It is a great life. In fact, it's the only way to live and experience joy in the midst of it. If the gospel is good news for all, though, we who are Christians must proclaim it to all. And in light of that, I want to give us some specific encouragement and some specific ways to respond to this message. Number one, you might want to write these down. Number one, pray for more workers. Pray for more workers. Jesus told us to ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And I am becoming increasingly convinced that the most important thing that we can do on a daily basis is to seek the Lord in prayer. Before we do anything else, what we need to do is pray. And if we're going to be successful in sending out gospel-preaching men and women into the world, and if we're going to be gospel-preaching men and women, then we need to pray and ask the Lord of the harvest for these things. And so pray and ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Number two, 41% of the world's people, almost three billion people have no functioning gospel witness among them. 41%. Churches need planting and the gospel needs announcing to 3 billion people in the world who have neither one, neither church nor gospel. And a lot of times, neither church nor gospel nor Bible that they can read and understand. Three billion people. Most of these people live in the world's hard places. Where life is hard, where preaching the gospel and planting churches is very likely illegal, and, may want, and you may wind up in prison or killed as a result. But nevertheless, someone needs to go. And the Lord is calling people. And somebody needs to say within the depths of their soul, Lord, here am I, send me.
So maybe some of us need to join that list. Because we're going we're gonna to need twice as much money and three times as many people to go out into the world to reach that portion of it. Don't immediately think, no, God is not calling me. Ask yourself, is God calling me to be on this list of people to go to those who've never heard? Number three, pray for the lost among your friends and your family and your co-workers. And by the way, when you pray for them, do not simply pray that somehow God would open up a door some way, somehow, that they would hear the gospel. Because guess what? God has put you in their life for that purpose. God has specifically saved you so that you could be used to announce the gospel to those among your family, those among your friends, those at your workplace who do not know Jesus. And so ask Him, not just that they would come to Christ, but that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel with them so that they could come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Number four, give sacrificially. Give sacrificially both to missions and to the advancement of the mission. Give sacrificially to, the, to missions and to the advancement of the mission if we remember that it is a cause that we have signed up for and not comfort and personal peace, isn't it possible that God is calling us to be far more generous with His money than what we had ever planned on? Because remember, it's all His money at the end of the day, right? We are stewards of God's resources. None of it belongs to us. It's all His to start with, and it's going to be his at the end. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List. It's an older movie at this point. But at the end of the movie, you remember there's this great scene where he all of a sudden realizes what all resources he still has and how many more people he could have saved with the resources he still got left at the end. I do not want that to be true of me. That, well, look at all the stuff I've got left over. I wonder how many more missionaries that could have funded. How many more churches that could have planted. How much more mission we could have done as a church if only we had been willing to sacrifice to God what He already owns. Number five, pray for more workers. Some of you are paying attention. You went, wait a minute. You already said that. I know. 
But I am becoming increasingly convinced that the most important thing we can do is pray. So pray for more workers. Because Jesus told us to ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And so pray for more workers to go out into His harvest field. In fact, let's close our time in God's Word right now just that way. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we sometimes wonder what is Your will for our life. Father, You have not made us to wonder. You have written it clearly all through the pages of Your Bible. You have told us things like flee from sin of various types and kinds. You've told us pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Love one another. Over and over and over we get these imperatives that tell us what You want us to do with our lives. And Father, one of the absolute imperatives is to make known the Gospel among people who do not know Jesus. And Father, I pray we would not be disobedient children who read what the Word says and go forth unchanged by having heard it. Because Your will for our life is that we would be on mission. That we would remember that we have signed up for a cause. And that we would be faithful members in it. That like good soldiers of Christ Jesus, we would put aside all the concerns of this life and please our commanding officer. Father, we ask You for workers to go out into Your field. We pray that we might be among them. That we might be faithful in bringing in the harvest of those You have sent us to. Father, open up wide doors for the Gospel. And Father, give us wide open mouths and bold hearts to make it known. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.